Welcome to Noclip, the podcast that's like a book club for people who don't think that books reward them enough for being good at them. I'm Chad Rutherman. And I'm Andy Kinnick. And today, we're going to be talking about Grim Fandango, a game that was developed by LucasArts, published by LucasArts, and was released in 1998 on Windows, and then was remastered... And I love this like shit eating grin because you know that there's just like fifteen things. Uh, it's on everything. Out. It's on all the yeah. stuff. Two thousand fifteen on Linux, OS X, PS4, Vita. V it was on Vita. Yep. My god. Android, iOS, two thousand eighteen on the Switch, and twenty twenty on the Xbox One. Yeah. And it was remastered by Double Fine. Right. Uh if you are an adventure game fan or an adventure game enthusiast, which is probably more where I would align myself, uh, because I constantly get excited about adventure games and then go, uh, this is real hard, and then I quit playing <laughs> Uh you would be familiar with Grim Fandango, and you would most likely also be familiar with Tim Schafer, uh, who works with Double Fine now, uh, but started making these adventure games back in the LucasArts days. So the reason that a lot of the, uh, like the remasters published by Double Fine and you see more stuff coming out from them, uh, I believe they also are responsible for the Day of the Tentacle remaster. Uh, and I think did, uh, <laughs> what's the motorcycle one? <laughs> oh, um, Full Throttle? Yeah, did that get a remaster as well? I, I'm not sure, but I'd have to imagine any of the LucasArts remasters are handled by Double Fine. Yeah, so that that is sort of the DNA that goes between uh, all of these things. Um, but Grim Fandango was among the first uh, to be re-released, and the reason for that is because it is sort of held up as being like the poster child of the genre. Yeah, it, it came out... I think, at least in my mind, it's like the last classic point-and-click adventure game. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it came out in like 98, and I think it was the last time that a point-and-click came out and was like a popular AAA release. Yeah. Uh, there's been stuff since, but I feel like this was like the last gasp of the genre's like relevancy. Uh, yeah, and this one... It might just be like so. It's like such a unique aesthetic and uh, premise. Uh, Tim Schafer and LucasArts delivering on that front yet again. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just feel like everybody's seen this game. Like they would recognize a, an image of it, even if they didn't know what it was. Uh, it's just yeah. It's like a cult classic, but just like a step above that, <laughs> you know. Because it's not like well known by everyone, but I feel like everyone's kind of seen it before yeah at least at the very least within the genre uh people who are sort of dedicated to it uh, are gonna know this game and will have probably played it as well um yeah so grim is is a weird one to talk about though because it is it feels like a culmination of a lot of the design of the early adventure games uh if you look back in like to things that came out prior to it you see things like and like not to talk shit on monkey island or anything because like that is a good game but it is a lot harder to read than grim is grim is is more 
streamlined. Um, it still has its moments of adventure game. Uh, the the you know the vestiges of adventure games long past. Uh, but it is it is it is a more audience friendly adventure game than most of the ones that I've played. Yeah, it it definitely it minimizes a lot of the trappings. Like there's no UI, mm-hmm. um, and like the inventory is handled like diegetically or however you want to say it, where it's like all in his coat. Yeah. Um, and so that you end up with fewer items at any given time that way, and it yeah it is streamlined a lot. And they let items break, which I, I think. It, it, this isn't new for Grim Fandango, but it's a thing that I love to see. Uh, like, once you've used an item to the point where it can't be used anymore, they just remove it from your inventory. Right. And that's a big... Th- that is, like, such a huge help. Uh, yeah, I, I almost feel like... It's been a long time since I've really played a lot of older point-and-clicks, but, like, in my mind, that's, like, a staple of the genre. But maybe it was a new innovation in this. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I mean, at this point, it certainly is. And by this point, I mean 1998, not right now. Um, but, uh, like, I can remember playing some, like, Sierra games back in the day. Things like King's Quest. Um, and just having Detritus follow you around. for Like, Harvester did this as well. Oh, yeah. Which we talked about. And that came out, I think, more recently than this. But also... Uh, this is not, it was not it was, a LucasArts quality right. game. I actually think that was like 95 or something. It, yeah, so it, it could have been, been before this. But um, yeah, and you don't end up with like um, combining items like mm-hmm. in your inventory either, which is also it's nice to not have to worry about. Uh, well, you do you spend I so much once. Right, but you don't do it like in the inventory. You have to like set the item down. Like the grinder, the bone grinder. The one that I'm thinking of is the denture press. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's in, in your inventory. I don't think it is. Though. No, I think you yeah, are you right. You put the uh, mouth guard uh, in, that's and then what you had to put it in your mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I feel like you spend a lot less time, or you spend no time really in this game, like fiddling fiddling around in your inventory, like you would in a lot of other point and clicks. Yeah, which is super helpful. Like. I, I can. It, it's difficult because, like, well, I I don't exactly know where it is that I want to go with this conversation. But at, like to continue comparing it to sort of other adventure games, um, which we're gonna do regardless throughout this episode. And so, uh, shut up. I guess <laughs> buckle up. Uh, shut up and buckle. Shut up, up and buckle up. Uh, it, yeah, it it helps. And we both played the remaster this time around. Um, it's been a very long time since I played the original. Uh, I think it's been about twelve years at this point. Um, and when and so I don't have a lot of memory of it. But the remaster also has sort of like regular movement controls uh, that you don't have to use the point and click interface. Actually, fun fact: I was watching the or listening to the commentary for this mm-hmm. while I was working today, and. The original game did not have point-and-click controls. Really? It used a tank control system and, like, an interact button, uh, kind of similarly to, like, uh, the Cat Lady, yeah. where there's you don't point-and-click. Um, yeah, so this game was like that when it came out, and it was, like, kind of controversial <laughs> to, like, point-and-click fans. 
But at the same time, also makes it a lot more accessible to people who aren't familiar with it. You yeah. Know? And having played it both ways, I actually think it's it's better with the point and click controls than uh, moving around um, w- with the. It wasn't tank controls uh, the way that I was using it, but um, it's still a little clunky to walk around on like the pre-rendered. Oh yeah. Uh, backgrounds with like wazd or arrow key movement. Yeah, it's the same with, like, the Resident Evil remaster. When you take a game that was, like, designed with tank controls in mind, even if you hate tank controls, the new controls are going to have some problems regardless. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's just sort of, it piles on, and that's kind of why I view it as more of a culmination of that whole era. Uh, is It's very accessible. It's very... Uh, writing focused like it's a lot of dialogue and the dialogue is where the game delivers its humor and its narrative um and it's all very strong it makes you want to talk to people and then talking to people is where you're going to get hints to how you progress with the game so that's sort of like it, it feels like it's a full uh ecosystem that mm-hmm. is designed to allow you to play it and sort of figure stuff out yeah, it definitely feels kind of like a swan song or like a capstone to like this kind of game being mm. made in like this era, for sure. Like there is something about it that feels very like much like a culmination of a bunch of stuff. Yeah, uh, but it, that's the uh, those are the the Grim Fandango bona fides. <laughs> <with it>. We <laughs> we can move on to talk about something more relevant if you would like. Okay. Um. So, I guess I did never play this game back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, well, mine was not back in the day, for well, sure, but yeah. Yeah, like I never played the original version of it. Yeah, but I played it. It was like a free game on PSN, and Dan, a friend of the podcast, mm-hmm. uh, was home for the summer, and we played through it over like a couple different weekends like over the course of like a month or so and we really enjoyed it and um once again i've mentioned this on previous episodes point and clicks are a great genre of game to play with other people i Mm -hmm. think it makes for a much more enjoyable and smoother experience um but coming back to it i i felt like the first year and the fourth year were way longer than I remembered. Like, I remember those parts being short, and I remember, like, the bulk of the game being years two and three. Mm. And I, I, I just thought that was weird to come back to it and be like, oh, wow, there's a lot more to the beginning of this than I remember. <laughs> like, this whole part in the woods, I, like, barely remembered mm-hmm. uh, and stuff like that. So I just uh, thought that was interesting. Yeah. It, to me, like, three, I think, is the shortest part of the game. Yeah. Uh, generally speaking, like just number of interactions. Um, but yeah, one, one and four. And to me, those are the strongest points of the game though. Uh, if you or anyone else wants to argue for year two, (laughs) year two, I think is like by far the best in my opinion. Yeah. That's what I remember when I think of the game is like Manny and the dinner jacket. Right. And going around the, like the blue casket and all those parts of the second year. Yeah. The that is a valid argument and if you do if you agree with that, then you probably don't agree with me about years one and four. Year one is good too though. Yeah. The the problem that I have like it's basically it's a difference in philosophy, right? Like mm-hmm. I like my adventure games to be a little bit on the easier side 
Um, because when they attempt to ramp the difficulty up a little bit too often, you end up with things that are just kind of inscrutable. And the problem with year two for me is that the area is so large and there's so many things to interact with that you end up sort of running around a lot and not being entirely sure what you're doing. I mean, yeah, that's fair. Um, it's, there's something about, like, year one, I find, like, the location to be a little bit bland. Yeah. And I think that's by design, right? Like, it starts, like, you at a baseline, like, Manny's at a dead-end job, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it can ramp up from there. And it immediately, immediately gets, like, weirder, like, once you leave the town uh, with, like, flaming beavers and stuff. Right, yeah. Um, so it's, like, intentional. But, like, I just, I don't know. I, I found it literally was forgettable for me because I forgot a lot of the, <laughs> the first year. Yeah, I, I remembered very little, if anything, realistically, coming back to it after many, many years. Uh, many, many years, mm-hmm. even if you will. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it is, I don't know, it's a striking game and there are definitely some things that just sort of like stick with you. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, one of those things was the... Um, like pre-rendered scene of uh glottis driving the 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 bone wagon right like modified bone wagon uh in that first sequence and you like blowing past uh the other cars and then like spinning around and stuff uh that to me was like such an iconic sort of like image for the game that that's i always remembered that part of year one yeah i mean that's even represented in the uh that uh, like desktop background, like oh, splash yeah. screen. Uh, when you boot up the game, it's got Manny in there in the Grim Reaper outfit with Gladys, like mm-hmm. you know, towering over him and the <laughs> sticking out of the car. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, I mean, yeah, Year One has its moments. It's just, I feel like that, like as you mentioned, like the aesthetics are really strong and like the themes and stuff, and I feel like they don't just don't get to shine. Yeah. In the first act or first year. Uh, it that's all really. It's still enjoyable to play. Yeah, year two for me, especially though, like the because what you just mentioned is definitely correct. Year two's aesthetics, I think, are are really on point. Probably the strongest in the game, uh, and it has like to me some of the funnier jokes in the in the game as well. Like that whole second year, um, it is complicated and there's a lot going on, but the things that are there really enjoyable to just be in. So it helps smooth out the amount of running about that you're going to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, though let's be real though. Fuck that, uh, that puzzle with the, uh, the forklift in the elevator. Oh yeah. God. Uh, that's, I, I specifically waited till I was on year two to capture footage. So you'll, <laughs> if you're, if you're watching this, you'll see how much I struggle with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> God, it sucks so So Look forward to it. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's like, it's so awkward to control and then like figuring out like what to do and not accidentally like clicking on something you didn't want to and having him get out. Yep. And uh, yeah, it's very clunky. When I had figured it out, I actually got him stuck in a position where he couldn't get out of the forklift. Right. Like too far to the right side of the elevator. And so I, (laughs) I didn't think that I had solved it. And so I was trying a bunch of other stuff before I came back to it and realized that I was just stuck against a wall, not that I wasn't allowed to get out while it was angled. So, yeah. (laughs) Another fun uh, fact I learned from the commentary was 
this came out in like 98 and i think like not too long after uh computers came out that had faster processors and if your processor was too fast you couldn't solve that puzzle (laughs) uh like it just like you wouldn't have enough time to drive it into the hole that's so good i mean it's terrible (laughs) but i love that as like just an art like an artifact of yeah and they never said whether or not they like patched it or anything or like refunded people or what but I mean, most likely they couldn't patch it. Right, well, I mean, like, they, you could release, like, I know it happens, yeah, they like, just an updated like a, disc. Yeah, a version 1.02 or yeah. something of the game. But yeah, fuck that puzzle. Yeah, fuck that puzzle. Uh, it's what we're, uh, what's really important. And I know that there are people out there who are, who are grim, grim fan. Dangos. Dangos. Who, uh will be like, that's a weird puzzle for you guys to have called out. Because, <laughs> like, this is... Pre- I bet everyone has a puzzle in this it's, that is just too much. Yeah, it's it's not that that one's super hard to figure out. It's that it's hard to execute. And mm. I know that's, like, your mantra. It is. is. That <laughs> makes for a bad puzzle. Um, But, yeah, like, this game, if we're talking about puzzle design, um, has a lot of instances that are like brushing elbows i think with that kind of uh face like forehead palming like (laughs) how the fuck was i supposed to figure that out kind of design but it like makes it work like uh the part where you have to like drink the liquor that has the gold flakes in it and then like walk through the metal detector like that took me forever to figure out but then right. after i i did i was like oh that's really clever mm-hmm. so like you you're stuck in this middle ground between like being frustrated it took so long and appreciating it yeah uh yeah i think this game if you want to call that a balance <laughs> uh, it kind of strikes that kind of balance where i didn't mind a lot of the uh leaps in logic so much but it definitely has its bad ones too but like i just found it kind of it walked a line for me that worked most of the time yeah i think there are a couple of of instances and the the good thing the positive side is that i'm struggling to come up with puzzles that i can think of off the top of my head where i feel like the solution was just way out of nowhere well i have one as an example if you want one again uh you have to give uh gladys this is in year four when you come back to uh i feel like i should remember the name rubicaba rubicaba yeah um don't say this puzzle and you have to, i love this puzzle it's not that it's bad but like don't do this to how me how are you supposed the, the idea <laughs> of it like where you have to you have to get the bottle uh-huh. You have to put the dishwater in it. You have to give it to Gladys and then make him throw it up uh-huh. uh, over top of the dominoes and then freeze it with liquid nitrogen. Like, that's cat hair mustache. The, uh, <laughs> okay, well, at first... Like, territory. It's not hard to figure out, but, like, the... How is anybody supposed to, like, think, oh, yeah, like, I sh- I'm probably going to have to get Gladys to throw up a bunch of whatever lemonade or whatever he calls it it's been it's first of all and then for, freeze it with liquid nitrogen so we can walk over there and then there's no puzzle involved with disarming the bomb you just do that yeah it just happens <laughs> uh but okay for element number one it's, that i have to call out it's been 25 years 
We still call it cat hair mustache because cat hair mustache is the worst one. If this was on the level of that, we would call it glottis puke dominoes. <laughs> and that's not the same. <laughs> cat hair mustache is worse. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but maybe it was just me being proud of being able to figure that one out like fairly quickly mm-hmm. that's making me defensive it's about it. It's one of those uh, like um, Link's Awakening where I didn't mind the magic powder thing because right. i figured it out yeah and i complained about it for like 10 minutes yeah uh, <laughs> on a podcast not in life <laughs> in life i complained about it for probably like days <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah it's like i don't think the puzzle's bad i just think that well i don't think it's unenjoyable i just i think it's like a little slapdash. Yeah. You're right in this. The solution to that, if you had started with the, the end of it, like, if if you were presented with the problem, right, mm-hmm. and then somebody said, the solution to this is to have, is to, is to make the floor gelatin, you wouldn't put, under any circumstances, put the pieces together to work backwards from that to figure out how... It was done, apparently, unless you are Tim Schafer. <laughs> right. So I get that, and I agree. I think that the saving grace for it is just because that part of the game is so comparatively small yeah. that you really just only have a few items that you can get. Um, but yeah, you, you, you talking about it, is, it doesn't <laughs> make sense that it's not great. It's not great logic, Yeah, it for stood sure. out to me is like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, okay, so when I said don't do this to me, I actually meant <laughs> that was a welcome and uh, insightful comment, Andy. Yeah, another one that just popped into my head that's a little bit uh, like that as well is like using the trophy from, uh, or the coral from Domino's room as a grappling hook. <laughs> yeah, which is also, is is like bordering on an inventory combination yeah like you have to pick up the ties i think they are um but if you click on a certain spot he won't pick them up you have to click on a specific spot like that's the thing that really gets me about that one i hate shit like that yeah that is awful it's like the problem i guess is because you use it to climb yeah you can't yeah so they had to have like a differentiation but they could have just made it like, put more distance between them or something so it's more obvious that it's two different yeah. things. That's another one that I also just kind of did. Like, I thought when mm-hmm. I picked up that coral, I was, like, grappling hook. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> that probably was, like, a latent memory from when I played the game originally. Yeah. But I did think grappling hook when I got to the area. I was like, this makes sense somehow. Yeah, uh... As I said, I played this with Dan, and we actually got through most of the game without looking anything up. Like, the thing that broke us was the the stupid safe tumblers in year <laughs> three, which gets my vote for low point of the game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, I, I, most of the puzzles, I think, are completely doable uh, in not-too-hard-to-logic your puzzle out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I think it, it 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 threads mostly threads the needle. I think of being like not frustrating. Yeah, this is definitely not too bad. Um, I wanted to compare it to uh, Broken Age 
um, which we talked about forever ago on the podcast. Oh, yeah. Um, I think the first year or first uh, part of Broken Age, first half that they did on the first round of like Kickstarter backing, like we watched the documentary on that, or at least most of it. Yeah. Um, and they talked about how like they, they interviewed lots of people and they talked to, you know, asked a bunch of like people questions about like what they did and didn't like about adventure games. And you can really see, I think that they took that stuff to heart when they made the first half of that game. And then for some reason, it seems like they reversed their thinking. And then on the second half, it's a lot more cat hair mustache territory. Mm-hmm. Um, and this game, I think it had a similar feel to like the first part of broken age. Well, I think, Broken Age was easier. Like it definitely feels like they tried real hard to like call the bullshit. Yeah. In this, which I appreciate. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah, and a, a lot of the stuff that we talked about sort of in the preamble to this uh is really what like how a lot of that got done. Like the inventory system that you mentioned being like pretty simple. Uh you never have too many things. There in I think the game has it it has like a use interact and like pick up button yeah it's um you have look interact and pick up yeah which is much clearer with point and click uh because i remember there that led to um because you only ever have to use interact yeah because i noticed this when we played because i played on ps4 the first time and that led to one little snag i think in the fourth year i think when you had to combine to make the uh, the bone grinder, I think you have to actually use pick up instead of interact, and like we didn't know that that was like a separate button. So oh yeah, we had to, to like, get it off of the, yeah. the snow machine. So yeah, yeah, you're playing on console. Uh, <laughs> get fucked. That's I guess. <laughs> uh, that's something to note is that there is a pick up button as well. Yeah, but it, it drops it down to three buttons, and they're all pretty like. It, it knows when you're using a thing on another thing, like, contextually, what should what you're trying to do, um, which is, like, a million times better than, like, uh, Sierra's old, like, you have a look, interact, use, lick, listen, <laughs> talk. Like, all of those were mapped to different things. Right. And, like, it seems like it was done that way almost solely to obfuscate solutions, like, make things harder to brute force because you have to use the correct action with the correct things in the correct order. Right. This really streamlines a lot of that, and I think that is why they did it. I think that they wanted this game to be more accessible. Yeah. Plus, it was the 90s, and everybody had a lot more free time. (laughs) That is true, or I don't know how true that is, actually. Um, Well, I knew that in the 90s they had time for clacks. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess what I mean is... um, this game, point and clicks feel like games that, at least classic ones like we're talking about here, uh, feel like they were designed for a time when people bought less games. Mm-hmm. Or, like, I, I don't know if it's, like, a, it's just been, like, a cultural shift, like, games are more accepted now, but, like, just, pe- I think even adults back then just bought less games. Uh, so, like, when you bought a game, you played it for a long time, and it, it just, it feels like it just a different design philosophy like for a different era where things you could try the player's patience a lot more back then yeah uh, and get away with it yeah people were more willing to like that's why mist existed and was like a phenomenon 
<laughs> yeah. And now if you gave it to an average, even not even an average, somebody who's very entrenched in games, give them Mist, and they will be like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what is any of this? Yeah, like, I feel like, unless you're a very specific Mist kind of person, mm-hmm. I feel like you'd have to pay a person to actually, like, beat <laughs> Mist. It, it requires, like, a full-time jobs level of commitment to beat that game without health. Yeah. And not just from yeah. talking books, either. Yeah, and it was, like, a super, like, high-selling game. Like, what did they? What was the tagline? Over a million people have visited the island or something like that. Yep. A lot of people playing Mist. Yep, so, like, that could never happen again. Like, something mm-hmm. like that becoming, like, that popular. I mean, I could imagine it if it was, like, couched as sort of an ARG-type situation. Like, you put it in, it it turns into, like, a Black Mirror, like... It would have to be, like, a perfect storm, though, because I feel like that kind of stuff is niche. That's true, yeah. That you bake it into... Do a Frog Fractions and bake it into, like, the next Modern Warfare game. (laughs) But how popular was Frog Fractions? Well, that's what I'm saying, is you take this thing... That is, like, dense and mysterious, and you bake it into a game that people are just already going to have? That way they Mm. didn't make the decision to buy it. You've just forced it on them froggy style. (laughs) Maybe. I think we've gone too far down this, like, mist comparison. We have. Because we're trying to describe how this game is not anything like mist. (laughs) So, uh... Uh, one more time from the top. Uh, we were... I, I think that what we probably want to do, based on where we are right now, is kind of, like, hit on a few more of the the more mechanical, I guess, elements of this um, before the break, and then we'll sort of break down the things that actually made this game as popular as it was mm-hmm. on the second half. Um so you had a, I know that you had examples there mm-hmm. of some shit that did not work for you. Do you have any examples of ones that did? I'm trying to think. Uh, I did mention the one where you had to drink the the liquor uh, with the gold flakes in it. Like s- simple stuff like that, I like, and that's more involved with the characters. Um, trying to think. Uh, do you have any? <laughs> While I think, <laughs> uh, sure. Um, <clears throat> I think I, one of my favorite puzzles in the game, uh, which I think would be somewhat controversial because it definitely is, it's in the middle ground between like flawless logical execution and batshit insanity, mm-hmm. um, is finding the mug f- that you gave to the guy as his like, complimentary gift for being shipped to the the afterlife in a foam coffin <laughs> um you get that mug back from him that was all the way back in the beginning of the game and you also have to remember from all the way back that the foam is extremely flammable and then you go into the uh kitchen and like put the mug on the mug tree and then you toast a uh, rag <laughs> Covered in oil. And, yeah, an oil-covered rag. And that's, like, the thing that sets off, that, like, saves Gladys, essentially. But I thought that they did such a good job of sort of peppering the clues for that. 
literally through the whole game <laughs> because you have that mug and you have that foam from from year one and then there's like a, I mean it's a little slapdash I guess but there's like a post-it note that's like please stop toasting shit that's gonna catch on fire on it mm-hmm. uh, and so basically the only part of it that you have to like figure out before you piece together um, like with new information is like what to do with the rag and they put the rags right underneath of of the whole setup uh, and it's a small area and you get that cool scene with the guy from the beginning of the game it's just like a really i it was one of those moments where i just really enjoyed the both the callback and the fact that the the puzzle made sense to me and the execution was funny it just to me all of that sort of worked yeah i like that one too but i actually kind of felt like it was pretty unclear what you should do but <laughs> even though i couldn't really trace the logic it did kind of feel like that one just solved itself because there wasn't a lot of areas and not a lot of stuff that you could really do yeah so you just kind of like uh i don't not lucked into solving it but you just kind of just do stuff and it just solves itself i think um, I guess one that I liked was I guess I just liked that security officer lady because I like having to take Domino's uh, little case cigarette case and having her uh, telling uh, convincing her it's a bomb and she puts it in the thing and then it blows up so you can get inside of it. Right, I thought it was cool. Did I would I'm on the fence and I may have missed something, but is there like a an indication that that detonator exists at all? Uh, you can click on it and ask her about it. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's an interactable thing. That okay? Because I just never, I just uh, didn't know that it was there, uh, the whole time. So it was, it was a long process of trying to get that open. Yeah, like another thing this game doesn't do is it doesn't highlight stuff that's interactable. Mm. Um, they talked about it on the commentary, and they were like, well, they. Uh, it was like an early game that used like that dynamic head tracking where Manny looks at stuff that's important. Yeah. Um, but pl- having played it with like a mouse, I think then you can actually like move the mouse around and the cursor changes over stuff right. uh, that you can interact with. Like just makes everything much better. Uh, so I imagine on console, it just doesn't. Hide. Yeah. Like, it's just yeah really hard. You don't have a cursor or anything. Uh, yeah. So you, you'll miss a lot more stuff that way. Yes, and miss stuff I did on a <laughs> on a pretty frequent basis. I remember uh the in the in year two also that racetrack, the cat races. Mm-hmm. Um one of the puzzles is involves like getting an old race photo, getting the time and day and like row number uh, to print the false ticket and then give to the guy. Right. And I got through all of that setup and then kept trying to give it to the wrong person. Because oh. there are two desks and, like, seemingly the same dude works yeah, at both Yeah, and then of they them. have a joke where it's actually not the same guy. Yeah, because he yells over to tell the other guy, like, oh, is there something up with that guy? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a good joke. Uh, and it's doubly funny when it was at my expense for, like, <laughs> just legitimately not knowing mm. that the other guy was even there. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was an... <laughs> That was an interesting one, for sure. Yeah, it, uh, you already mentioned it, but um, I like the uh, 
the mouth guard thing where mm-hmm. you had to make the imprint of your teeth. I thought that was clever as well. Um, but uh, no, you bring up another. That's another good thing to talk about is with uh, pre-rendered backgrounds. Uh, you always end up with that jank where you just didn't know that screen was there. <laughs> right. Uh, because of the way, like, the room is set up and you don't really have a clear indication that you can go over that way. Yeah. Getting to where um, the lawyer, Nick, whatever, mm-hmm. um, is, I didn't realize you could go back oh, really? there for... It was the very last thing I did Mm. before leaving, so uh, it was like, I just didn't know that you could continue further Uh, that way. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. And then once I was over there, I remember it was hard for me to even get back the first time. I was like, which of these exits is real? The door that leads up to What's-His-Name's office um, looks like it's the way you came from. Like Mm -hmm. You don't know that that's a different place. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Playing on PC alleviates a lot of this uh, with the the cursor. Since you can it just makes an arrow for where you can go. What do you know? P- playing point and click adventure games but on the original, PC. The original game didn't have that though. <laughs> well, it didn't have the movement controls. I'm sure right. it still had a cursor. Oh yeah, I guess there probably was a cursor, but I don't know if it it worked the same way. Because um, there was another thing where. Tim Schafer was like doing a playthrough of it mm-hmm. that was separate and also doing commentary. I don't know why both of those <laughs> things needed to exist, but he was like, we designed it. Yeah. So you could just play with the arrow keys and then like the numpad. And he was just playing it with one hand like that. So I don't actually know. Yeah. That is strange. Yeah. And like, they had it like the numbers on the number pad, like were like hotkeys to items. So you could just pick them with right. the numbers and stuff like that. And like plus was like interact and etc. I was like, Oh, that's actually like, sounds like kind of clever, but I feel like no one's going to play it that way. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, I feel like if you're going to, ha- like, this is speaking now, like with hindsight and stuff, um, all these years later. But, like, if you're going to do something like that, I feel like you need, like, a splash screen at the beginning. It's like, go into the options menu and look at, like, the control stuff. Yeah. If you're going to, like, yeah, because pe- no, no one's just going to do that. Right. Maybe back then. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I was what I was going to say was that it's we're also operating under the assumption that everybody who uses a computer has a mouse, which wasn't right, necessarily some, the tr- the case. That's true. And but some in '98, kind of yes, though. Some computers don't have number pads as well. That's, yeah, or keyboards. I mean, right. More of them did back then. Yeah. I saw you look over. I have two <laughs> in this room right now that do not. Right. And I had one that I used for a while, like a shitty Bluetooth one that didn't have right. a numpad. It's got, I say, 60% keyboard or uh, 65, a TKL. Uh, Elitist identifying. There he is. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah. No, I don't know. It, it is. It's interesting because it is designed in that way and it's something that we actually i'm gonna say we i don't actually remember if you and and jj had a similar thought but on uh i praised at least on the cat lady uh that that was designed in not only was it only using arrow keys for its uh entire like interaction uh but also because that one's just on a 2d plane as well uh which makes it it makes everything that you can interact with really very obvious. Um, 
and I think allows for more thinking about puzzles as opposed to looking for stuff, which I find less enjoyable. But I don't know. Uh, (laughs) I'm on the same page. Uh, That's one of my favorite things about the cat lady is how like, yeah, how streamlined that is. Mm -hmm. And I even have that in my notes. Nice. Uh, That it's similarly, it feels like it had similar goals, but like at an earlier time. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is like a 15 year difference between the two games. But uh, yeah, I I think that's, that is cool. And I, I, I remember playing this game with a mouse, but I don't know Mm. if that's evidently entirely (laughs) accurate. Uh, But yeah, the, it is still sort of like a PC game at heart, even using the, the hotkey numpad thing as an example like that's also not something you can really port over to consoles as well right so yeah i mean you know i still didn't want, I wanted to play the game at work <laughs> <laughs> what are you gonna do uh but yeah i think one of the things, and I don't know, maybe this is something we want to save for a little bit later, mm-hmm. but one of the elements of this game that is related to looking around for shit to do um, that I think is kind of the saving grace of it. Like, we talk about the puzzles and whether they were easy or hard or which ones we struggled with, um, but a lot of the times it was just like you had to go get a thing and so that you had that thing so that you could complete the puzzle. And the difficult part was finding the thing that you needed. Right. Um, and the thing that aids in that is I think the the environments in this game are legitimately really beautiful. Like, they did a lot of work to make this look like a cool, interesting place to be in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Lost my train of thought. <laughs> Oh, um, you lost your ticket on the on, on the, the number nine on the number nine. But uh, I've heard people say stuff about this, like uh, with Crash Bandicoot and Spyro, where like they designed their uh, characters to be really angular uh, because of like the limitations of the PS One and how many polygons you could have, mm-hmm. and as a result, those games look better than a lot of other games on those consoles. Like they hold up better visually. Um, and this feels like they had, they made similar decisions. Like early 3D uh, looked real janky, and so they they made these like interesting character designs that were like very geometric in shape and almost kind of look like maybe they're like paper mache or whatever. Like they took the inspiration from the Day of the Dead stuff, and it just it works really well. And uh, that also like inspires things like the color palette and. Uh, a lot of the art direction and stuff, and it does look real good. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, that's great use of theme throughout, uh, which we'll, I think, talk about more a little bit later, but that that sort of, like, the amount of fun that is had just, like, reading descriptions of stuff and listening to conversations and just sort of being in the areas is why it never felt too bad to have to like run around and go get things. Yeah. Uh, and it's also why I think that the third section of the game, year three, is the weakest one because I think that the 
the pr- okay, this is now that I'm saying it out loud, it seems like kind of a no brainer. Uh-huh. The prison island was not a fun place to be. Right. <laughs> Which is good, I guess, because it is a prison island. But uh, it was like I found like the audio design was really grating in it, mm. and everyone was very loud, and <laughs> like it was kind of bland in in design. The parts before it on the boat and underwater were pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and then after it, there's like a very bizarre boss fight uh, <laughs> that I'm not really counting, but all of the the main puzzle solving takes place sort of in this. Uh, very kind of brown facility. Mm-hmm. It's just not. It's just not as enjoyable. Yeah, I don't mind it as much as you seem to have. But I totally agree <laughs> that the actual like prison facility, the island and stuff are probably the blandest looking parts of the game. But like I, the underwater stuff really sticks in my memory, though. Like I like all of that. Yeah. Uh, and I wish there would have been more of it. Uh, like if the whole third year took place in a weird underwater city or something, that would have been sweet. But uh, yeah, but for what it is, I don't know. It, it felt like they wanted to put. It feels like stuff got cut, or they wanted to like shift gears to like the narrative a little bit more because that's where you meet back up with uh, Meche and Domino mm-hmm. and stuff. So you know, yeah. I gotta shout out the uh, the puzzle with the uh, crane chain mm. uh, for being cranes, trains, and automobiles. Yeah, with yes, with cranes, chains, and automobiles, um, being the absolute like embodiment of how I solve puzzles. Because the solution to that puzzle is to just hit a switch a bunch of times and hope that something <laughs> happens. It is that one is an annoying to solve because you have to get go back and forth. Yeah, on the that weird map with the where you move the crane around. That felt so much like a concession to uh, technology. Yeah, like that that sequence where you just have the one crane <laughs> movable on this like very static JPEG of the <laughs> island. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I like that whole part. Um, uh, the the part that I don't like is talking to the kids mm-hmm. in the cage. Yeah, one of them is voiced by the voice actress who does Pajama Sam. I noticed that. Well, hell yeah. And Spinelli on a uh, recess, but uh, yeah, I they don't really do much with them. Like I kept expecting them to have like more significance, and then you just need them for the little hammer. Yep, and that's then they, it. That's it. Yeah, you can go back to them a lot of times and make them cry, though, which yeah. is <laughs> annoying, as it turns out. But what are you gonna do? Uh, My hands are too not too small to make light bulbs. <laughs> uh, do we want to shift gears to talking about the story and other things after, after the, the break? break? Yeah. Welcome back 
It's time for everyone's favorite segment on the No Clip Podcast. I summarize the plot of the game. Because <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about the narrative. Uh, a key component of adventure games, uh, and similarly a key component of a lot of like technically... Uh, easier to implement games. A key component of mysteries. Uh, Hashtag mystery, mystery may. may. Which I once again didn't say shit about. Yep. Classic me. Uh, so, Grim Fandango is a game where you play as Manny, Manuel, Manuel, I did that in reverse order of how it would normally be done. Manuel, and then quotation marks, Manny Calavera, uh, who died, doesn't seem to have any memory of what he did as a, it's, a an alive guy. It's not clear if anyone does. Right. It, it's not really mentioned. Not so much. Meche does have, or Mercedes Meche, uh-huh. don't remember her last name, uh has like some recollection because like you give her that whole interrogation scene mm. where you're like you didn't even do one little murder right. she's like not even <laughs> once um so yeah like some people seem to remember other people's don't uh, people's uh <laughs> don't remember and i don't really know that it's ever really made clear why or if it matters it doesn't seem it's not something the story is really concerned with i don't think right so you have been placed uh, in the, oh, God, Bureau of the Dead, the Travel Agency of the Damned. I don't yeah. know what it was called. Yeah. The Department of Death. That's it. Yeah. The Department of Death uh, as a travel agent who uh, basically collects the recently deceased and attempts to get them on their way through the land of the dead to their eventual resting yeah, place through in the, the afterlife. Eight, the eighth uh, underworld, I think yeah, is what the, it's called. Maybe the ninth underworld. Because yeah, they want to take it on the number nine to go to the ninth. Right. So they're in the eighth. They oh, wanna, okay, They yeah. want to go to the ninth. That makes sense, yeah. So you d- are doing so, uh, but badly. Uh, due to some collusion on the uh, on ma- on management's part, uh, and basically through the events of the game, which sees you over the course of four years chasing after somebody who you knew should have gotten uh, the deluxe package on the train that takes you straight to Nirvana, mm-hmm. uh, you uncover the sort of like collusion where they're conspiracy. Yeah. They're taking the tickets for the train for themselves to sell. Uh, and that is the overarching plot of the game. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that is, it's, it is so well set up in the first year that you don't give one shit that (laughs) like most of the stuff that you do doesn't directly relate back to it. Yeah, it's yeah. The opening is really strong. Like it is a weird concept, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, as you said, it's set up super well. Um, I do it, want to shout out that if there's some kind of like cultural understanding of the the narrative 
uh, and like all of the themes in there because this obviously does draw a lot from uh, Mexican culture mm-hmm. uh, with its themes and its aesthetics. Uh, I just don't know it, right? And I didn't look it up. <laughs> so yeah, there you go. I I think that stuff is is on the more like loose side from mm-hmm. my understanding, and most of it's like its own kind of uh, creation. But uh, yeah, like the whole like the tone and the story are both set up really well in the beginning. Like it's also it's got that noir like 1930s kind of look, but it is also like Day of the Dead, like Mexican culture influenced, and like the fusion of that stuff is so well done that you almost don't even think about it. Like I feel like that would be an interesting like design challenge to blend those two things, and it's done pretty seamlessly. Yeah. Yeah, like I could imagine drawing stuff out of a hat and being like Day of the Dead plus film noir, go, and yeah. just like trying to come up with something. Uh, and this is like, obviously was not done in haste. This is very well executed, especially aesthetically, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, the The character of Manny Calavera is, in a way very much an adventure game protagonist like he does every man yeah he he doesn't have any special like talent or knowledge outside of what the player would know from the outset uh or not any that isn't like very readily explained to you Mm -hmm. um and he also has sort of that like quippy saying one-liners and jokes kind of, like, personality to him that was really common uh, in in protagonists of the era yeah, in the in genre. the 90s. Yeah. Yeah, really just have, at all. Yeah, they gotta have attitude. <laughs> it's true. It's the, it's the most radical thing to be. Mm-hmm. He's also very competitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, as the game goes on, he always ends up in charge of whatever he started doing. Yeah. At the end of the last year. Uh, but even, like, in spite of all of that, I feel like his characterization is, like, they do right by it. Like, I, I think while he does do things that may be kind of, like, typical, at the same time, like, it influences the way that the game plays out. The one that you just mentioned, I think, being the biggest one. Like, <clears throat> from the transition from year one to year two, you kind of get this idea that, in the first year, he almost sort of he knew that he was a good salesman, mm-hmm. but did not like. He was starting to doubt himself because of how much like bad shit kept happening to him. Mm-hmm. But then, you, the beginning of year two, it just goes from like this shit diner to the whole casino setup that you have. Uh, almost just as sort of like a reinforcement of the fact that, like, yeah, he is actually just kind of a badass. <laughs> yeah, like to me, it, it read like like unreliable narrator kind of in the beginning. Like he he claims that he's a good salesman, but it doesn't seem like he is. So you kind of don't believe him mm-hmm. or you doubt it anyway. Uh, until and then the way the first year ends off, where he's just like the guy hands him the mop and he just starts mopping the floor, and then it fades out and then fades back in, and he's like in charge of it. It's like one of the I think one of the most like memorable slash like impactful things in the game. Like it really cements his character, like as you were saying, as like a an upstart like go getter. Oh yeah, 
It endears you to him. Oh yeah, and it, like any, like any hesitation that you have with his character in the first year, is really undone during that second year, um, because there is the uh, like and at the risk of potentially him being sort of, uh, I know there's a term like the male version of a Mary Sue. Oh, a Gary Stu. Uh, yes, of course. Is that yes? That's a real thing. Okay, that seems like something that you may have made up just now. Nope. Uh, he, he is, like, pretty, like, not altruistic, because, like, he does a lot of things for his own benefit, but in the end, like, his goal essentially is to save all of his friends, and he succeeds in doing so, um, and just, like, kind of proceeds throughout the, the game like that. He is the right man for the job, and he does that job incredibly well, Mm -hmm. uh, even if you had to click on something 150 times in order to do it, uh, it's played off in a very cool way. Um, and I think that's key to sort of his characterization and how, how the game handles him. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting point that I'd never really thought about, is the idea of like a Mary Sue-style character in a video game. Mm-hmm. Because video game protagonists are supposed to be great at everything. Yeah. Uh, but in a more narrative-focused game, that does, I think, raise an interesting uh, possibility. Uh, I don't know enough to really speculate <laughs> on it, but I don't. I didn't get that impression of him personally. Like, he seems like he has flaws. I can't point to any specific moments uh, to, to emphasize it, but I don't know. I just... I think Manny is maybe one of my favorite like video game protagonists like ever. Yeah. Like I I I find him just really likable and I often find uh in AAA games, especially more recent ones that like the male main character will be just like bland, milk toast, whatever, look like Nathan Drake or whatever, <laughs> like just a white guy. Uh-huh. Uh, and I don't know, Manny's just like so interesting and likable, and his voice actor is great. Yep. Uh, yeah, I know. I just I just like Manny a lot. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, like people love a flawed protagonist, or at least people claim to like yeah, a flawed but protagonist. Manny is cool. But Manny is cool. Manny is the opposite of a flawed protagonist in a way that is done to its like archetypical peak. Mm-hmm. Like uh, there, there is a. And maybe we're just big Manny fanboys. I I think man boys. We're just big man boys. That is true. Um, But I I know I've brought this up before, but there is this quote from like Nintendo where they don't like their protagonists to like look too cool. Mm. So they always say like, especially with like Link, they were like, oh yeah, like for Ocarina of Time, we're like, yeah, put him in like long underwear. Uh, Because we don't want him to look too cool. I think Manny's got a little bit of that, where he does come off as, like, a little bit of a dork. Yeah. But, I mean, that's... But he's mostly just kind of, like, cool. And, like, uh, he's, like, a smooth talker. They made him smoke cigarettes, which is a (laughs) a definitely cool thing to do, kids. That's something that you couldn't do now. Just have your... uh, A a game that's, like, for E for everyone Mm -hmm. would not have a... Uh, main character whose idle animation is they pull out a cigarette and start smoking it. That is true, yeah. It was much more of a normal thing back then. Which... Yeah. Does smoking on TV make me cool? Again, yes. the answer is yes. yes. <laughs> uh, 
But yeah, I, and honestly, like, I brought it up as, like, basically a safety net because he definitely is not a, a typical Mary Sue-style character. No. Like, he, he does a lot of... And, like, he goes out of his way to hurt people to get things <laughs> that he wants on occasion. Yeah. Uh, like, off the top of my head, he does move the ashtray to burn Meche to get the... Uh, right. Uh the the stockings so like his whole crew gets murdered uh in the beginning of year three yeah, the whole boat they get crew. sprouted he does he'll say a a, um, a word of of respect if you do look at mm-hmm. the corpses on the way out uh but yeah it's there there are moments of oh, he, of he fixed his casino fixed his casino here we've, we've we're uncovering all yeah. of his flaws now <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but he's a very cool and very likable protagonist, and I think that's important given the amount of time that you're going to have to listen to him give explanations of why he can't or does not want to do things. Yeah, the the only one that really stood out is, I feel like I heard it a million times, is I don't want to mess up my blade. I don't want to mess up my blade. And pull out the scythe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Conditioning you to not ever try it and then get hung up on stuff where you need to use it. Year three, I thought, was a very scythe-heavy year also. Yeah. Uh, and I want to shout out how good of a decision it is to make just a regular blade-type item mm-hmm. be just a permanent fixture of your character. Because if you've ever played an adventure game where you pick up like a hatchet and use it for a puzzle, and then you try the hatchet on something else, and it doesn't work, mm-hmm. even though it just should, because you need a knife instead. Because yeah, it is a versatile tool. Yeah. Like, it's good to just have that out of the way, so you're not trying things that logically do identical tasks. Yeah, like, giving a character, like, a signature... I guess item that they always have is a good call. And I love that it. I know there's a word for it, but like it comes apart and folds up. Yeah, it's a collapsible. Yeah, I think that's really funny. Yeah, and the the sound effect is really good as well. Like that goes along with it. Mm-hmm. I the only thing that bothered me about it and fucking it's the animation. Yeah, drink. Uh, <laughs> I it, it takes, takes a long time, man. <laughs> <laughs> Especially the anchor puzzle. Uh, oh yeah! You like try to grab the anchor with the scythe, and it's like it plays this plays the animation of taking the scythe out. Then he sticks it out the window and just kind of like <laughs> jiggles it around a bit for a while, and then he's like, "Oh, can't don't what well, I don't know, not right." <laughs> There's also like the collision with it too. Like if he's too close to stuff, he has to like stop, back up, mm. and then pull it out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not to mention just, like, and this isn't an actual complaint, so don't file it under the complaints <laughs> column. Uh, just a note that the pre-rendered backgrounds operate really poorly when he's holding something large. Because it's just, like, it's just more than they expected to be in the space. Mm-hmm. So your scythe will sort of take on a weird fourth dimensional <laughs> like superimposed nature over the the environment on occasion mm-hmm. uh, but that's all just kind of to be expected um now, one thing i brought up um that i think is really cool uh, in relation to the story is the concept of being sprouted mm. it's like um the equivalent of like death in this world right because they're already all dead yeah. so you need stakes in the story <laughs> um and I, I just think it's really cool that like 
it's like the like it's like a opposite of death like it's like returning to life like they turn you into flowers yeah i just think that's an interesting idea and i know that the flowers are a reference to the day of the dead the specific kind of flowers that they uh leave to like guide the the spirits back yeah uh so that's cool like using your uh, inspiration there a bit and it's just a cool concept yeah i think it's very good and it's like uh it almost has like a little bit of like a body horror style thing because like they shoot them with it and then like a plant grows out of you yep like that's that's creepy no yeah it's got it's got cronenberg vibes for Mm -hmm. sure like you've got uh a human skeleton that again actually now that i'm thinking about it it definitely also has magic the gathering vibes but like (laughs) (laughs) very common like skeletons with plants sort of like overlap there Mm -hmm. but uh no it it is it's very good and i think that the i like it as both the stand-in for like a lethal option in the game Mm -hmm. as sort of like like you said to keep the stakes high but also just sort of like visually um and they do things with it like um at the very end of the game, finding, uh, damn it, damn it. What is his name? Uh, I can't remember either. Yeah. You have to find his body. Yeah. You have to find his body in the field and also throwing the, um, the dog tags onto the corpses yeah. in the second, uh, uh, year is very like, they use the, like, it isn't just like, Oh, they died in a different way. They also take that, like mechanic that they've created with it and sprinkle it in as like parts of the world that you interact with. Mm -hmm. Uh, And because it's flowers, it also is something that you're like familiar with as a human person and can infer like logical things about, Uh, which is always nice. Like if they just made it super death where they like, (laughs) (laughs) they they just like evaporate into non-existence that doesn't add anything to the game. Right. uh, Other than just solves their narrative problem of not being able to kill skeletons. Right. Yeah. I love that. I I think that's great. Yeah. It's very creative. Mm -hmm. Oh, in addition to that, which I would not have mentioned at all until (laughs) you brought that up, that it means they also get to do fucking wacky shit like uh have people's heads talk to you because they don't have yeah, they don't die yeah they don't need organs to live and the one guy who like is mostly dead like he gets sprouted but it hasn't grown yet yeah and they so did... he hops around on one arm yeah like they do the zombie thing mm-hmm. where he just cuts it in half so he doesn't get fully sprouted yeah so it doesn't like he, spread. he rides the unicycle <laughs> yeah it's so good he pedals it with his arm that he still has <laughs> Uh, I just, I love that. Like the, they use every part of, of their, their theme, uh, Mm -hmm. to make the, they use the whole Buffalo. They use the whole Buffalo. Uh, one of the other key players in the game that I am maybe controversially less a fan of, uh, is Glottis, Mm. the demon, um, I do. I love the concept that they play with, where demons are like beings created from the plane itself to perform a specific task. But because the game is written in the way that it is, they are all like pretty grumpy about <laughs> shit most of the time. Yeah, 
they only exist to do one thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that does seem like a pretty shitty existence. Yeah, yeah, they only exist to do one thing, but they also have a fully autonomous mind about it, so they can think about how shitty it is that they only do this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Glanis as a character, like he does a lot in the game, and is there for a lot of it, and is important. But he is intentionally written to be very annoying and is which like is a success i i suppose but it always made me want to like leave him off screen for as much time as i could that kind of surprises me because i thought that that would be a character that you would like um but i mean to each his own i find it to be like kind of annoying but i don't really mind him that much uh, I feel like they write him out, I think, enough. Like, every uh, year they kind of have him go off and get, like, captured or incapacitated or something, and you have to, like, save him. Um, He's one of those kind of characters. He's, like, a liability to you. Yeah. But I don't know. He has a little bit of, like, dog energy where you kind of just, like, <laughs> care about him because you feel like he's your thing to take care of, I guess. Yeah. I mean... I agree with that, and I think that a lot of the times when he's written like that, it's pretty successful. Like, I one of my favorite moments, probably my actual favorite moment in year three, is when you just find him on the boat mm. that has sunk. Uh, and, like, you climb down the anchor, and he's just there. He's like, oh, hey. Like, not even worried <laughs> about it. Just like, I'm fixing this boat. Uh and it's just, I don't know, it's, that comes off as very funny. The things that annoy me about him are basically just, like, the canned animation and sound loops where he, like, sits in the car and makes engine noises. Mm. And you're like, I'm trying to think. There's <laughs> there's a bridge with some beavers, and I can't seem mm. to put them out with fire extinguishers. Can you please stop <laughs> just going, <laughs> for one second? Uh, yeah, I feel like the only time it ever was annoying, especially annoying to me, was in year two when he's, like, drunk and betting on the cat races. Yeah. And he's just yelling the whole time. But, I mean, like I said, that does seem to be, like, his purpose, you yeah. know? Like, they, that is not... The writing wanted him to be like that, and he was, so I don't, (laughs) like, I don't even want to say that it's inherently bad. It's just, I don't know, it just didn't jive with me the way that I had hoped. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I mentioned um, this when we were talking about Manny, but I think the voice acting in this game is really, really good. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably like the best of its time um when you think about voice acting in games like things like metal gear come to mind and uh at least to me kingdom hearts does um but this one i don't really hear people talk about that much and like this was 1998 and i think it's got like a pretty stellar voice cast yeah um i don't know if it's because it's more expected because lucas arts made it or or something but I, I feel like it doesn't get credit uh, that it deserves for its voice cast. Yeah. I think, um, and like LucasArts always had main characters who were voiced well, at least in my experience. Mm-hmm. And 
some of the side characters don't really like have the the same panache um and i'm sure that there are examples where just like every character was gloriously <laughs> realized that i'm just not remembering but at least in my experience with with grim like there isn't a character who i thought like wow they just sound like shit uh, uh it, there's the um the coat girl lupe yeah in year two who does very little but like i just remember her really like really well because like the voice performance is so good mm-hmm. she she feels like a nickelodeon character like, yeah like straight out of a cartoon uh in a way that i, I guess i just wasn't expecting mm-hmm. yeah yeah, and like even that character who's in the game for like a grand total of like three seconds, yeah, uh, is is still memorable and still has a voice that like you can rec- like I can imagine it in my head. Yeah, and uh, also like the uh, the security guard who is apparently my Grim Fandango waifu because I've brought her up like three times, <laughs> but like yeah, she's really funny. I thought like her whole shtick. Uh, was good and uh, I don't know yeah they just say every every character pretty much is amusing and funny I guess that's just Tim Schafer at the height of his powers it really was (laughs) sorry I've been trying to workshop something along the lines of Grim Husbando (laughs) Grim Husbando (laughs) it just wasn't (laughs) that works well enough Uh, but the um the woman at the blue casket who does like the beat poetry mm. where, where you ask her like, well, how about just one more poem? And then she kind of cuts <laughs> off like the, the last bit of your sentence. And she's like, okay. All right. <laughs> and then immediately goes up and does another. Mm-hmm. I thought that was, I think that's hysterical. Yeah. And she, I, I did not try to exhaust the number of poems. No, I didn't she had. either, but I had her do it like four or five times. Yeah, it's it's a very good joke, yeah. and it succeeds at its at its uh, job. Mm-hmm. And knowing adventure games, most likely does have an end, and it doesn't loop, and there's like <laughs> another joke that's probably also pretty good at the end of it. Yeah, I mean, they have a bunch of, like, little phrases that you can use to choose to, like, make a poem. And if you do one before she goes up there, she'll do the exact poem that you did, and she'll you'll get an achievement for it. Nice. But, um, so they probably can just procedurally generate poems for her to do, like, almost near, functionally infinitely for a human being, right? That's, that is probably true, yeah. yeah. So, it maybe it is an infinite joke. <laughs> Uh, I guess an, uh, another standout would be the captain. Oh year yeah, two as well. Building that boat. Yeah, I like that his voice is really good too. Just wanted to shout him out. <laughs> Shoutouts to the captain from year two. I just didn't want to not mention him while we're talking about voice acting. No, that's fair. I was honestly because you you do come back to him in year four. Uh, to get the boat for the Glottis Vomit Dominoes puzzle. Uh, And I was surprised because I had assumed that he would have been on board the boat and therefore be dead. So when he showed back up, it was a, it was a real happy reunion for me where I got to be like, Hey, you weren't murdered. That's awesome. No, that is a great point. I do actually think that's a plot hole. Because <laughs> he's he, the captain. He definitely was the captain when you left, and you become the captain, but they never explain how that happened. Uh, 
yeah, maybe I missed some dialogue, but I yeah, I feel like they just uh wrote around that a little bit maybe, yeah. I guess he stopped off somewhere. Well, and the only thing that you need him for in in year 4 is to take Get the, the bottle. Boat. Yeah. And he just leaves. So like he could have just been dead in that bottle <laughs> just still on the just desk. Just sitting there, yeah. Yeah. Cuz not really much else changed in the inter- intervening two years. No. So. One thing I wanted to mention was the m- use of music in this game. Because uh, it feels really dynamic. And I don't think it's like a dynamic track or anything like that. But it just it feels like it's always... It's ambient when you would want it to be. And then it like it creeps in a little bit more and grabs your attention... Uh, in really good places too like i don't know it 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 almost feels like a dynamic track but it was actually just like designed super well and just kind of feels like it comes in in significant moments and fades out in in less significant moments like i don't know there's something about it i just felt i don't know it was just really masterfully done i kind of lacked the vocabulary to really talk about composing music but yeah the, for me, the the main thing is there were very few times, and I just have come to expect this, both in, in older games and in newer ones, where you will be doing something and trigger the next scene to play, and the music will just sort of abruptly change. And it was really rare that that was evident, that it was happening. A lot of the time you would go in and it would change, it would change in intensity, in a small enough increment that even when the tracks swapped, you wouldn't be able to tell uh, necessarily, and it felt very natural. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I always expect that, like, see, and I mean, this has some of that. Like, when you, the scene that I talked about where uh, you're in the bone wagon for the first time. Yeah, when it cuts to cut scenes. Yeah, it just, like, jumps into this very, like, bombastic theme at that point. Um and it's more obvious. So like it's not like it's completely without that, but like 90% of the time it wouldn't it it, it wasn't distracting in in that way. Yeah, it's just like stuff like um when you're up on the top of the building in the first year and mm-hmm. it's like the music feels like it 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 comes to the forefront and emphasizes like that you're in like a precarious like environment right it's like I, I feel like it has that kind of quality where like they know when to push it to the forefront and when to bring it back yeah and it just stood out to me that that was done really well in this yeah and the game is excellently composed as well it leans more heavily i think toward the noir side of yeah, the game than yeah. it does toward the the mexican side um but even so it there's enough of a blend of it that it feels like it is uniquely grim fandango yeah yeah it's like the aesthetics as well it's just like a nice blend of um influences like it doesn't like looking at this game like it doesn't just look like Hey, it's Day of the Dead. Like it doesn't look like Guacamole or something, right? You know, yeah. like it has its its very distinct look, and like it doesn't just look like a noir story with skeletons. You know, like it's got a. It's just really impressively done. I think really well realized. Yeah, the fusion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
No, I agree. I was I was actually going to also bring up music, um, but in a in a much less uh, good way. Because <laughs> I actually I don't love the music in this game from like a it as songs perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, like I wouldn't put this this. Yeah, on. it doesn't. It it airs more on the like a film score. Like it definitely you're right it does lean heavily towards like an actual noir movie kind of soundtrack yeah yeah not not catchy themes no but that's not necessarily a bad thing that was just my one thought on it i remember um the the menu music that plays during the opening i think is really sort of like the iconic track for this game mm-hmm. and that is the one that sort of like stands out to me uh, and everything else does just feel sort of like, yeah, like a film score. Like it is, and that almost feels like very intentional in yeah. a way, just to that was their goal. So, yeah, I tend not to like that sort of thing as much, but it just felt really appropriate here, mm-hmm. and I felt like it was like expertly implemented in a way that like stood out to me, which is like rare that I think about music in that way. Yeah. I guess I have, I have one more narrative kind of thing. Uh, and that is, how do you feel about this game as, not this game, the, the, the way that this game handles villains is very, because uh, in, in the, at the outset, you kind of view the villain as being... Domino? Yeah who ends up being the villain in year three as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not so much in year two. It kind of like flip flops a bit between uh, like Manny versus other uh, dead people and Manny versus just like the environment. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's, it's, it's odd. Like I really liked Domino and him, not being sort of like the the quote unquote final boss uh-huh. uh like the main villain right was a little bit disappointing to me like i i think especially i mean we were talking about voice acting earlier like his performance i thought was exceptional like i thought domino was really charismatic um and they gave him a lot of the best jokes <laughs> uh when he's listening to his headphones mm-hmm. uh, and just telling Manny to go ahead and try and leave the island, see if he gives a shit. Uh-huh. Uh, and so for him to die in such a, also just a very stupid scene mechanically where you have to like, you just stab an octopus eye mm-hmm. and he gets ground up real bad. It's just like it to me, like his whole arc was like the, was the motivating factor and then he's just it's just cut off and then you get a a very brief cameo by the real big bad mm-hmm. uh, who you kill indirectly and then the game ends yeah uh i don't feel like it bothered me as much as it seems to have bothered you but i agree uh i because domino actually you spend time with him he gets characterized and Manny and him have a clear relationship. Yeah. Um, and I think it has a bit of a similar problem to Psychonauts, where there's just uh, too many villains in the kitchen. God, uh, that, that is such a good pull. Yeah. It's because <laughs> um, there's a. 
what's what's the main guy's name? Something with an H. Oh, Hector. Hector, yeah. Wait, is that Lamont's right? Or whatever. That sounds correct. Anyway, if we're wrong, oops. Well, it sounds emphasizes like a character for Breaking Bad. Oh, uh, that... wasn't there Hector Lamonka in that? I I don't remember. <laughs> anyway, I might have just pulled a name from Breaking Bad out of Hector my ass, is like ninety percent definitely yeah. his name. But this emphasizes my point: is we can't remember his name because he gets like no screen time, and mm. I couldn't remember if he was always the same character if there was another guy that looked similar to him that was also a villain right like in the second year who was in charge of the casino right i think that was a different guy but i'm not sure um who has the lawyer and everything yeah Uh, yeah that is a different guy no that's the same that's the same guy that is yeah but anyway (laughs) this is uh i I guess proving my point yeah. yeah like you just they don't get much time a screen time or characterization and so you don't really care uh, yeah, about him. About at all. them, yeah. Yeah, and then meanwhile, Domino shows up a whole bunch of times and is like, uh, like I don't really, I don't have a ton to say about Meche, uh, because she is very much a MacGuffin in the game. Yeah, it it felt very. I know Casablanca was a huge influence on this, mm-hmm. and she felt very much from like that kind of movie. Yeah, she gets a little bit of a character in year three. But, you know, I liked her as a character, but like she, had, I think as you're getting at, she just doesn't have a lot to do. Yeah, and then in year four, she gets kind of sent off to go fuck fuck around by herself for a long time, mm-hmm. and then just doesn't come back up for a, for a while. <laughs> so it is, it's weird. Like, it's not even really clear to me how she gets how you meet back up with her at the end of the game. Like, it's mm-hmm. just they just kind of go like and. They lived happily ever, or they died happily ever after. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like, yes, like, she also does not get a ton of characterization, but ends up being sort of like a main character in the game. But Domino does, and also feels like they should have the send off of, like, the main villain. Uh, and he dies at the end of the third act, and then, well, I guess the third year. Yeah. Uh, and then just doesn't, basically no mention is ever made ever again. Mm-hmm. He got grinded. He got grinded. He messed, he messed with, with Kurt. Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> it was his fatal mistake. Yep, he warned him. This is in 90, this is, came out the same year as the Good Burger movie. He should have known. <laughs> Domino was not sprouted. Correct. Oh, maybe so he he's... could still be alive, just at the bottom of the ocean in pieces. For Grim too, which would be a horrible fate. Oh yeah, that would be the, about the worst way to die, or to not die. Uh huh. It'd be the worst way to live. <laughs> yes. Uh. <laughs> Uh, well, on that kind of sad uh, and and horrifying note, do we have, I want to say fatal thoughts now that he's dead, but uh, do we have Fandango thoughts? I feel like Grim thoughts would have been the better way to go here. It starts with an F. That's, that's true. That's my self-imposed bad rule. Uh, my Grim thoughts, sticking it to you, Uh <laughs> are I quite like this game. Um 
played it the first time. I said with a friend, and I would if you've listened this far and for some reason haven't played it, uh, I definitely recommend doing it that way. Just like make sure it's not a dumb guy. Yeah, just make sure they're not a dumb friend. <laughs> Get smarter friends. Hashtag. Um, so, but yeah, thoroughly enjoyable. I think it hits uh, most of the time falls in that kind of sweet spot where it's not too hard to figure things out. It has its moments, uh, as you would expect from a 90s LucasArts adventure game. Mm. But just everything else about it is so likable and like so good. The concept is great. The art is very good and distinct and still holds up and has like its charm even today. Even if it looks a little dated, like it still works. Uh, yeah, great characters, great writing. Um, it, it's really captivating. It's it's just a lot of fun. And as we were getting at earlier, um, at the very beginning, everyone like knows this game. Like I think if you are into video games, you've heard of this. But I don't feel like a ton of people have played it. Maybe that's just my own perception. Maybe I'm off base. But I just, I just don't feel like this game's underappreciated. Uh, even though it might not actually be. <laughs> or, like, it doesn't get enough, like, credit. Like, I think this is a really great game. Um, and I guess, like, not everybody's, like, a point-and-click fan, but, like, artistically, I think this game is, like, really exceptional uh, and is worth playing. So, and you, you jokingly uh, brought up the idea of Grim Fandango 2, uh, and I think this ends in such a way that, like, you don't really want to do a sequel or anything. But, like, there is that lingering desire to, like, I want to spend more time in that world. Mm. Uh, so at least you're wanting more in that way. Like, it's just such a fun uh, place to, like, to explore and be in. So I like this game a lot. Uh, rough Edges and all uh, from its 90s LucasArts lineage. Uh but yeah, thoroughly enjoy it and think it holds up. Yeah. Uh, my Fandango thoughts are uh, <laughs> uh, pretty similar. I think that you you have a point about it being underappreciated. I think that it is a game that that culturally we have aged out of. I think that a lot of people who are more new. Uh, and haven't done their their due diligence, so to speak. Uh, haven't gone back to the classics, um, which I think everybody's guilty of in one way or another. Yeah, but just uh, sidebar, I feel like if you're that kind of person who's like, I'm going to go back and play the classic games, I feel like you'd be likely to overlook this one, I guess is kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I can... Either back that up or try and refute it. Yeah, just my speculation. Yeah, that would be kind of a hypothetical. Uh, I think that if if you wanted to play an adventure game, people would probably suggest Grimm to you. And there are a lot of good reasons for that. Um, Grim Fandango is, sits at, at, at the fulcrum of old adventure games and modern game design in a way that is really impressive to come back to and see as sort of a uh not a tipping point but just as like the the culmination of the design of the past and like sort of an eye to 
what it is that makes the game more successful uh, to a wider audience and sort of sees where the genre would go in the future. Uh, some people would say that it went straight into the ground. Into the trash can. <laughs> which Grimm also represents by having all of its characters be dead. But I would argue that a lot of the things that Grimm pioneered and what it brought ba- brought with it are what people look at when they make a new adventure game. I think people would more want to be compared to Grim Fandango than any other adventure game from the 90s if they made a game today. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. I think I think it's such a good example of the genre that there's an argument to be made that like it is like the definitive game of it um yeah the rough edges as you mentioned are part of why that is true uh i i wouldn't call it the perfect adventure game and it's certainly not my favorite one but it is the game that i would always point at as the as the epitome of adventure games the game that you would always point at and And click click at (laughs) Thank you for listening to Noclip this week. What are we talking about next time? Next time, by popular demand two years ago, we're going to be talking about the Outer Wilds, which may just be called Outer Wilds. I don't know if the the is there. So all two people who popularly demanded it. uh, (laughs) It's finally coming. Yep. Uh, I mean, it it is an award-winning game universally loved by those who've played it uh now we're gonna be those ones gonna be exploring that solar system baby Mm -hmm. i'm Uh, excited to like we both hate it somehow (laughs) (laughs) gonna buy me it's always possible yep uh but we're uh i feel like i've brought this up on the podcast before but uh getting to a point where like we're much more open to suggestions uh for what to do on the podcast now uh, and i'll probably put an announcement in the discord about this but you got any suggestions please let us know mm-hmm. and chat will tell you how you can do that uh you can do that by finding all of our contact information on our website at nocliptpodcast.com or at splattershot.pro uh there you can find links to the discord to our twitter to our email Uh, You can find our YouTube channel and links to all of our old episodes, uh, like The Cat Lady, which we mentioned multiple times, or even as far back as Broken Age Mm -hmm. for another Tim Schafer game. Psychonauts. Psychonauts, also a Tim Schafer game. Mm -hmm. Uh, Pretty recent, that one. Harvester. (laughs) (laughs) We talk about only weird point and clicks. Well, those are the ones we like. (laughs) This is why we had to do Grimm. Yeah. So that if somebody gets out, you talk about adventure games, we can be like, we did Grimm. They're like, well, my checklist is complete. <laughs> uh, you do Monkey Island? That's uh, the only <laughs> other competitor. So we fucking start sweating. Uh, yep. Uh, reap that like button. Don't mess up your blade in the comment section. <laughs> That's not on fire. Ring that bell. <laughs> You ring any bells in this game? I feel uh, like you do.
I don't remember. I man. think there's a problem. Um, you you use the scythe at the very end to take the tape off of the bell. Oh, yep. There you go. Use your scythe to take the wadded up tape off of the bell above the door. And then ring that bell. <laughs> <laughs> so we can sell you this plant gun. 